Here he is. Here's the man that all of you have been waiting for. <laughs> Here's the man that America loves, the world's greatest Jews are player. A man of infinite sensitivity. A man who is sent here by this radio station every week as a public service. This radio station recognizing that there's plenty of love figures on the air, and they send you as a public service a genuine figure for you to hate. Get a little bit out of you. And now here he is, your friend and mine, Gene Shepherd. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's it. Oh. Oh, and I say to you, when I am elected, I say, follow me. Now's the time to go down and burn down the city hall. Let's go. <laughs> what a rotten bunch. Oh, everywhere you see it, you see it. It's beginning to sneak in. There is a new world creeping in. And you can see it on every side. And I think tonight we will spend our evening dissecting the brave new world that is about to emerge. I have here a clipping which I hold before you. How many of you went to school? <laughs> Three hands just went up. No, let's, let's be honest. All of us went to school, but not many of us went to school. There's always, have, by the way, have you, ever, have you ever, speaking of going to school, how many of you feel that little rotten sense of hate when you see those television shows when they've got Fordham Prep over here and they've got the Bronx High School of Science over here. Yay! Hear them? Oh, boy. And this guy comes on, he says, yes, it's time now for a battle of wits. Hit the whammy. It's time now for these two high schools to compete with their fantastic intellects. And these little kids come up with quotations from ancient Greek philosophers and scholars, and they've all got that same look of the kid that you grew to hate. <laughs> when you were in school, that kind of intense look with the glasses, that look of a, of a kind of little human piranha, little chutzpah sharks. You know what I mean? They just they sit there with that eager look of the kid whose hand all the way through life, he has to practically tie it down to keep it from always going up, you know. Always up in the air, you know, waving. <laughs> me, me, I know the answer. Me, me, me. And all the rest of us sit there. The one ambition we've got in our life is not to be called on. <laughs> Listen to her back there. <laughs> a second grade teacher. Well, I know you're kind. I remember Miss Shields looking down from second grade. This is where I learned so much of my early, my early life. It came out of this. Miss Shields had that roving eye of the second grade teacher who somehow could spot the one kid in the class that did not memorize the poem. <laughs> And guess who it was? I'd sit back there, you know, have you ever tried to ad-lib Oliver Wendell Holmes? 
<laughs> and what's worse, get away with it, you know. A boy stood on a burning deck, a peck of apples. No, that's not it. Uh, we'll put that one on the air after the show. How many of you know a number of unbelievably obscene <laughs> revisions of classical poems? How would you like a show tonight of that? I'll tell you. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll give you a few, and you'll have to fill in the rest, see? This is direct communication. How many of you learned this famous song? Uh, <clears throat> oh, the sun shines bright on little red wings. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I can tell a Sunday school teacher from a mile away. You don't know the rest? How about this one? Uh, all right, fill it in there, and you'll have to tell her on the way home to Jersey what it is. <laughs> oh, yes, we had one. I'll never forget one that we used to sing. I'm in the Army, see? <laughs> and you wouldn't believe the parody that exists on the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, boy, I, I look back on it now with embarrassment as I remember some of the things that went on in the back row of these platoon formations. In fact, I would tell you this, three guys out of ten who were in the Army learned how to be ventriloquists. <laughs> I learned to throw the sound of a chicken clucking the length of a football field. I would make it sound like another battalion is doing it. I'm going to forget, oh, you know, speaking of those great moments, and, and, and these are the scenes you never see in the movies about the armies. <laughs> There's a lot, isn't there, friend? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can think of those great moments, those great, terrible moments, uh, lying in the barracks, 3 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, the whistles blow, the lights go on, and this sergeant hollers, and, Leggings! Helmet, line, a raincoat, that's all. The medical officer's on his way, let's go. I'll let that soak in. You didn't get that, that's just as well. I can see that I have tonight as our audience the Bobsy twins. <laughs> They've come down from the farm. Flossy. Well, I, I, I remember this great moment in the Army, see. And it's a, it's a battalion formation. Actually, it's a regimental formation. And we're in this big hollow square. All the battalions are lined up, company by company, platoon by platoon, big hollow square. And in the middle of it all is a stand bunting all over. The band is way up on a hill. And they've been playing those favorite service songs, things like, uh, oh, uh, Oh, off we go into the wild blue yonder. Oh, I got a parody on that one. <laughs> See, I was in the Signal Corps, and they hated the Air Corps. <laughs> and our, our, our parody is just, well, they had one on ours, too. So here's the hollow square. You got the picture? We have all been drawn together. It is a, it is a Sunday formation, which is unusual in the Army. And it had ritual, ceremony. We had all been dressed to the nines. There'd been a big 
We had a big uh, inspection. Our belt buckles were shined. We had all our stuff on and our little things all shined up on our hats. And Company K was standing in attention. And standing up there on that platform, I could see it almost as if it were yesterday. There's a little knot of high-ranking officers. We are there to celebrate the fact that our Brigadier General has just gotten his second star. He had become a Major General. That is to say that he had graduated from Gargantua into King Kong. And there he is, see, they're all up there and they've got flags and they've got those big, two big stars are floating in the wind there. And they play ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. And you can hear the drums playing and the things booming out. And way off in the distance, you can hear the, the regimental aide-de-camp. He calls out, Regiment! Oh, would I love to do that once. Regiment's attention. Not just, hey, you, stand up. <laughs> the highest rank I ever achieved was corporal. And I was limited to one guy at a time. A PFC, you know. So I never once was allowed to holler, Second Army! I'm the stick! <laughs> well, I could hear that voice, you know, it's floating out. It was beautiful ceremony, just magnificent if you like that kind of thing. And then I hear all the way down, you know, you hear all the little company commanders and the second lieutenants, they're all repeating the order. You can hear them, Company attach, hut! And then you'd hear, Platoon attach, hut! And our little platoon came to attention. We're pulling our gut. We're standing there. And I'm going to tell you, I know, this is the reason I'm telling you this story, is that I have carried, ever since that time, in my craw, the knowledge that I know a man who pulled the perfect crime. I saw it happen, and I ain't going to chicken now. I'll give him a phony name. Gasser. <laughs> if there's anything that bugs each one of us, it's to have a friend get away with something. Gasser, see. And Gasser's standing three guys down from me in the next rank, just ahead, see, so I could see his ears. We're all standing there. And way up there in the distance, you heard the aide-de-camp say, Oh, regiments! We are good to honor Major General Blodgett M. Bullard! West Point, magnificent soldier, who has now gotten his second star. And it's attention. The entire battalion, miles around us, hundreds of men stand there. And out of each eye is a little pinpoint of hate. <laughs> Focused on this little round, fat man up there. This little man who looked for all the world, he looked like a combination of all the, all the bowling team captains you've ever seen in your life. All the Rotary Club insurance men. All the high school principals. 
and there was a slight suggestion that he, remi he reminded everybody of everybody's aunt. There was a quality of antiism about him. You know, there's a way of wearing a combat jacket. His kind of flared out like a little skirt, you know, a little pot in the back and the front. And, you know, those were supposed to be a light, uh, well, there was, there was supposed to be a kind of a light gray dress officer's uniform. He had the way to make the pinks look pink. They were pink. And there's that little banty rooster standing down there. And he's got these two stars on his shoulder. Not one, but two. Now, maybe you don't know anything about stars. A lot of you guys are civilians. Right to the core. I could tell a gummy look coming out of here. You know? uh, look, you know, the idea that a major general is just another soldier. <laughs> oh, boy, and a pig, you know what. Let me tell you, and, and they're mythical. You know, you never really see major generals. You just hear about them. You see their name at the bottom of long mimeograph sheets. It says, Blodgett M. Bullard, M-A-J slash G-E-N slash S-I-G slash C-O-R-P slash... It goes all the way. And so here he is in the flesh. We have never even seen this guy. We're all standing there. We are there to pay homage to him getting his second star. There's a silence. And the general in charge of all Signal Corps yucks, a four-star general, no less, legendary. At that time, he ranked General Eisenhower. He had stars that went all the way down and up and down the side, <laughs> up into the air, and he came out on the platform, and he is going to pin the second star on Bullard, our general. The general we were supposed to go through hell for. And incidentally, we did. <laughs> the only thing is, he made it. It's the wrong kind of hell, you know. And so this other general got up there, and they had the PA system. And he says, Men! <laughs> well, Guts pulling. <laughs> uh, come on in, General. How the army signal corps going? <laughs> you kind of like to have, it's kind of warm feeling to realize that a four-star general also has feedback. I <laughs> see, come on in, General. How the army signal corps? <laughs> I am privileged to be here to present to your beloved commander. He was waiting to hear the other side, see. His major generalship. We all know that this magnificent commanding officer exemplifies the highest ideals of the U.S. Army. Signal Corps. He represents the sort of officer that will lead us to victory against the evil enemies of democracy. And if there was ever an evil enemy of democracy, it was Blodgett M. <laughs> the one thing he did not want was to hear any dissenting voices. 
He was known as Old Iron Bottom. I wish I could tell you what he was really known as. <laughs> Suffice it to say, it started with a B. And he stood up there and he looked down over us and then he continued and he said, Let us know as we think of this great soldier and all of you young men who are about to go against Hitler's legions. Let us now pause and by ten seconds of silence, honor this great soldier. Silence. And then suddenly, after three precisely calculated beats, I saw Gasser's left ear twitch imperceptibly. I saw his throat swell with his GI collar bugging out a little bit. And then clearly and crisply, in that quiet ambient air, floating from company to company, battalion to battalion, regiment to regiment, the single cry. <laughs> it was the sound of a chicken laying an egg, which in the army has special connotations. Well, you never saw a scene like that. It floated all the way on up to the platform and all the way on out to the South Pacific. It floated out to North Africa and little old Blodgett M. Bullard up there. You could see his chest just go up slightly. And we knew that we were going to pay dear <laughs> for that little clock that little chicken that laid an egg in Company K. And there was a brief flurry up there. I could see the general pinning the other star. And by the way, it was the first time I ever saw stars that were battery operated. <laughs> he turned them on in his pockets. He had a little battery. And they shone with a cold blue light. A silver malevolent light just laid out there for a second. And he looked down on us. And his, his answer was just simple and to the point. All he said was, Thank you, Major General Curmudgeon. I accept this second star with humility, but I intend to exercise the additional power that you have seen fit to bestow on me. And his eyes swept all of us. And we knew... Goodbye, USO. <laughs> Goodbye, three-day pass. Goodbye, PFC Stripe. Hello, KP. Hello, pots and pans. Hello, chicken. I can't say the last word. And it was sad, you know, to see us all marching out in formation, all of us with feathers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, there's a funny thing about the Army. I, I, I think I told this story once more. And, and I, I know I told this story, but it was one of the great moments in my life. How many of us, we're truly Americans, you know, sitting here, down here in the limelight in the village, in the heart of decadence, 
where beauty flows like a great rich river down to the sea. <laughs> right, gang? Truth, passion. We're all Americans, you know. And there's one thing that the American heart really warms to. That is, I say more than anything else, and that is making it big as a phony. <laughs> Look at the Oh, yeah, you know. We all secretly want to make it big. You know, wouldn't it be great to have the telephone ring tonight? You come back into your crummy, rotten little pad. You sit down. You look around. There's cracks in the walls. You've come back from this movie, you know, where Cary Grant lives in this fantastic pad. And you've seen the sign above the movie house that says, Get more out of life. Go to a movie. And the only way you can do it is by staying in the movie 24 hours a day. Because the minute you get out back on the street, you're out on the street. You know that funny rotten feeding of reality? You can smell caucus instantly. You're walking along, you know, in the beer cans and the cigar butts. Have you noticed that in the movies, you never see guys like Anthony Perkins walking along streets that have been preceded, that he has been preceded on by poodles. <laughs> you don't see that side of life. Did I tell you here? Now, wait a minute. Let me, I'll tell you a little, let me tell you a little story now. I, I, I just was reminded of something. About four months ago, I was called in to be a technical advisor on a movie. Now, that's, that's a great moment. I mean, you know, what the heck am I going to technical advise them on, you know? But they called me up and I said, Shemp, Mr. Shepard. And let me tell you, boy, being a technical advisor is a great racket. You ought to see the money they make. Boy, I couldn't believe it. They called me up and they says, we're going to give you this money to technical advisors. I says, and what? He says, New York. Well, we're from the coast. And we'd like to have somebody who's really on the sea down there. Come on and tell us about it. And it's about the village. It's about the hip world, you know. And we figure, you know, you've been around. You've seen it. So show up on the set Monday morning. And I said, gee, <laughs> I always wanted to get that call from Hollywood. Never thought it would be as a big shot expert. Uh, do I get my name on a screen? It's why, of course. Technical advisors are important to our industry. Without those technical advisors... We would not be able to pursue truth <laughs> with the efficiency that we pursue it. We would not be able to have those little subtle touches that make a place a real place, to make reality real. And we figure you can help us. <laughs> that truth, I know about that. <laughs> Making a place a place, yeah. And I'm sitting in this crummy, rotten office I've got. And you can smell the moldering papers on my desk. I've got one of those desks, you know, where if you watch it long enough, you see things moving. <laughs> Under all the papers. There are some papers that have been there for the last three guys. That have occupied... Oh, that gives you an awful sense, you know. It's like the catacombs in Rome. You walk through those catacombs, you know, and you have a vague feeling that one day you'll be looked at by tourists, you know. 
Now, says, you look at the funny one with a bump on the head there. And it's you, your skull, Sarah and I, you know? And so there I am in my little office, and I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of, you know, impressed by the fact I'm going to be a technical advisor on something. Nobody ever asked me about anything technical. And so I walk out on the street, I look around, and there I could see the spires of New York. Yeah, there it is. The Empire State Building. Standing there. Boy, what a building. It just stands there. Looks down over Queens. Occasionally glances out at Staten Island. Just stands there, see. You know, are you where that, that, that building wiggles? Under the wind? And they claim that if enough people, it only takes maybe a hundred were to get on the right side of the Empire State Building. And all together, one, two, get it going. <laughs> Which way would you aim it, gang? Can't you see it laying across the east side where all them rich people live, you know? Boy, it just cuts it down there. Well, that, that's the scene. See, you got it. The Empire, I look up there and here I see the Empire State Building. Beautiful building. And then I see the Seagram Building. That fantastic monument to booze. <laughs> well, <laughs> only in New York would you have a building named that, you know, booze. <laughs> and it stands there, you know, it looks down. It sways even more than the other one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and some quiet nights, if you stand there quietly out there on Park Avenue, you can hear it hiccup. <laughs> and so I'm looking over all these great buildings, and I says, I'm the expert. I'm going to be the guy to tell them about New York. And so Monday morning dawns bright and early. You know, it's one of those crisp, cool mornings. And I'm not used to being up at 7. I have not seen a morning since 1958. I didn't even know they still had them, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you forget about all that. You forget about the moon and everything after a while, you know. And, and I'm up there and I'm blinking at bright sunlight. Phew, boy. And I can see all these people hurrying off to work. They've got a different look. There's a different crowd of people that believe in the daylight. Yeah, they've got a certain dedicated fatness about them. They're all hurrying downtown. They're going past me. And I'm struggling my way through the morning. And all of a sudden, I am at the place where they're going to shoot the scene. It is being shot with Sean Connery. And it is not a James Bond movie. He is playing a hippie, a beatnik. Can you imagine James Bond, a hippie? That in itself is a contradiction in terms, you know. But here he is, and, and they're going to shoot it on 7th Street. I used to live over there, over off 2nd Avenue. Do you know anything about that neighborhood? Well, it, it's one of the yeastiest neighborhoods in the world. And I see all these guys running up and down the prop men, and they've got little whisk brooms and little dust buckets. <laughs> And they're taking off the sidewalk, the thing that makes 7th Street what it is, you know. 
And I say to them, wait, fellas, wait, I'm the technical expert. Bring more. And they look up at me and they say, what do you mean? What kind of a nut is this we hired? And they're painting all the garbage cans pink and blue. And they trot out. out. You'd never saw the kids. They, you couldn't believe it. They had five little blonde pigtailed chicks that they brought from Darien. And they're standing there with little rubber balls, you know. And all, across the street, the real kids are that they cleared off the block. All the little pot smokers, you know. <laughs> they're all standing there. You can see the switchblades, you know. And I realized then that the search for truth is not easy. Let's give truth a big hand. We'll be back. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.